class is going to teach you how to conquer your fears. I'm going to teach you how to awaken the snake within you. Points or no points, you're dead meat. Dead meat. <laughs> it's Cobra Kai. What then? Shall we go on sinning if the grace may increase? Go, What are you looking at? Finish him! Are you sure you're ready? Because once you go down this path, there's no turning back. You're gonna be my karate teacher? No. I'm gonna be your sensei. You're listening to Give Sin a Body Bag, a podcast about offensive sanctification. Quicksilver. Over the years, I've developed a system of intensive short-term training for situations just like this. Terry Silver. The Karate Kid, Part 3. All right, everybody, fall in. Now, this week, we're going to look at the Quicksilver method developed by the one and only Terry Silver. You may know him as the man who actually bathes in front of his staff in what appears to be a large-scale replica of a bathroom sink, or as a guy who made his millions uh, in nuclear waste, because apparently in the mid-'80s, nuclear was the preferred waste. Anyway... Yeah, this this whole mini-series is mini, and therefore I think it's important that we use every tool at our disposal. And this one is for short-term training situations, and developed by a man who is very near and dear to Sensei John Kreese, and so it would be silly to ignore it. So, fighting positions, and here we go. Stand firm. Never. Can't. Those are just words. They're meaningless. Johnny Lawrence. Cobra Kai Season 3 trailer. In the last episode, we touched on the greatest generation. Uh, Guys who left high school, grabbed a rifle, and stormed beaches. And, of course, it bums me out to compare that to our world today, where young people call 911 when their feelings are hurt, or McDonald's is out of chicken nuggets, or they need a safe space where no one can say anything that makes them uncomfortable. Oh, man, I'm getting old, aren't I? One area in which this distinction is all too obvious is an inability to receive correction. A good friend-slash-mentor of mine is a seminary professor, and he has noticed this shift in the last few years in a huge way. A couple years ago, this professor gave someone a B-minus on a paper and wrote some notes about how they could improve the next draft. The guy set up a time to meet with him in his office and said, all vulnerably and LaRusso-like, When I read stuff like this, gesturing at the helpful notes, it's like you're saying you're the expert or something. Duh, guy. Why would you pay $400 a credit hour to learn from a non-expert? I don't know who this guy is, but obviously when I envision this interaction, it's Dimitri from Cobra Kai. Because this same smarmy sense of entitlement looks even worse on Dimitri. This kid has come to peace with his place at the very bottom of the food chain, wanting to be invisible to everybody at school, the hot girls, the mean jocks, everyone, lest he find himself shot down, mocked, or humiliated, and yet he can't keep from opening his mouth and goading Hawk at Moon's party in Season 2, or even disrespecting Sensei Johnny Lawrence in Season 1, Episode 5. It's not like he's a teacher who can give us a bad grade. Why should I be afraid of him? Because he's got a picture of a snake on the wall? He works for us. It's not like he can actually hurt us. Of course, what happens next is that Johnny actually hurts him. I mean, not as badly as Kreese will actually hurt him later, but, you know, when you're Dimitri, you never learn your lesson and you never leave well enough alone. That's the LaRusso way. In Revelation 3, Jesus tells us, Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. 
a Dimitri attitude that balls, you work for me. It's not like you're the expert or something. That is the prevalent attitude of our day belongs to someone who is not in the least ready to sit at the feet of the savior to follow him toward godliness or to take up the sword and put the enemy down. Quicksilver, as a sort of Cobra Kai boot camp, is all about establishing yourself as an overcomer, which, being an overcomer, as those who follow the conquering messiah, is also the overriding theme of the book of Revelation. Quicksilver is about winning with as few blows as possible. Remember that movie Fireproof, with the boyishly handsome but also in his own way hardcore Kirk Cameron? A Christian movie, which, well, famously bad, is still better than The Karate Kid 3. There's an iconic scene in that movie where Kirk's character, who's been struggling with internet pornography, just snaps and drags his computer out into his front yard where he beats the thing into Play-Doh with a baseball bat and dumps it in the trash. That's Cobra Kai, and that is Quicksilver. This is the idea behind Johnny Lawrence bringing his students to a junkyard in Season 1, Episode 8, where he tells them, Your enemies are all around you. Destroy them. Well, Twisted Sisters, we're not going to take it anymore, plays. Now, let's not confuse ourselves with questions like who owns this junkyard and why would they be okay with these kids destroying all sorts of perfectly saleable merchandise to teach them a rather vague lesson. Instead, focus on channeling this awesomeness, like all of it. The smashing of stuff, the high-fiving your buddy, the attitude of we're not going to take it, etc. Ironically, the only student we ever see put through the Quicksilver method is Daniel LaRusso, and it's done as a cruel and hilarious practical joke, because the senseis of Cobra Kai know this macaroni-and-cheese-obsessed man-child isn't even close to being up to the challenge. In fact, he objects to every aspect of it along the way, like a little baby. Daniel wants to do kata, punch a soft bag, and find that one magic bullet technique that will allow him to defeat his challenger, like he does every movie, so he can keep his title. Aside, how on earth is Daniel still under 18? If he is, why is everyone bugging him to go to college? If he's not, how can he enter the under-18 karate championship? Also, how is karate's bad boy Mike Barnes not at least in his late 20s? And if he is somehow under 18, can he even sign contracts and claim a 50% ownership in the new Cobra Kai dojos? If I didn't know any better, I'd say Karate Kid 3 is a really, really badly written movie. But all of that aside, Terry Silver's training would benefit all of us all the same. It's the kind of training that forces you to leave the realm of just sitting in on the class and enter the world of actually raining actual blows upon your enemies. I mean, even Bert sat in on the classes. He even had the signature black gi of the Cobra Kai and was listed on their roster. Oh, who's Bert, you ask? I guess I can't blame you for not knowing. It's kind of a deep cut. Uh, Bert is that super tiny little Cobra Kai who seems to somehow get defeated at the tournament by a single kick from Xander, even though it's three points to win. After giving Johnny that feeble thumbs up, he's kind of cute in his own way, but that's not what we're going for with Cobra Kai, is it? And he's a whole lot less cute when we remember that he was buying a girly magazine from that sad quick mart the night before. Like Daniel, Bert could have used Terry Silver's shortcut to manning up Quicksilver training. Terry Silver sees your feeble little thumbs up right before you get kicked in the face, and he says with no little annoyance, We train champions here! And Mr. Silver is right. I mean, not about polluting lakes with nuclear waste in a cartoonish way or bathing in front of everyone in a giant sink or about that greasy ponytail, but about his rules for fighting, he's right on. Also, that ascot he wears is legit. But from the word fight, our goal must be to take the enemy 
out of commission to end the fight before it's even started. That's where Terry Silver's three-rule system comes into play. Rule number one. If your enemy cannot stand, he cannot fight. Sweep the leg. Do you have a problem with that? John Kreese, the Karate Kid. Johnny instinctively knew the right answer to Sensei Kreese's question. No, Sensei. We don't have a problem with that. Take the feet out from under your enemy and crush him. It's time for your elbow and his knee to get acquainted. No amount of voodoo medicine nonsense will have him on his feet again anytime soon. Oh, and by the way, that didn't even work at the 84 tournament. No one has ever limped more limply than Daniel LaRusso as he re-entered the ring, not just favoring that leg, but avoiding putting any weight on it whatsoever. Miyagi trades in lies and chicanery. During his earthly ministry, Jesus actually did miraculously give Manny the ability to walk once again. Rise and walk is one of the more common refrains from his lips while healing. And as with all of Jesus' healing ministry, this is a picture of what he does spiritually for us. We were paralyzed, and he called us to walk. We were blind, and he gave us sight. We were dead, and he gave us breath. Naturally, though, we don't want to pay these gifts forward to our sin nature, reanimating it with our own life force, lending it the use of our eyes, walking it around on our legs. Rather, we want to do the opposite. Sweep the leg. Do you have a problem with that? Rule number two. If your enemy cannot breathe, he cannot fight. What's the matter? Having trouble breathing? Johnny Lawrence, Cobra Kai, pilot. As we read earlier, Scripture commands us to, quote, make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Certainly, the greatest desire of all flesh is oxygen. But I'm afraid we can't allow that. You've got to choke out your sin nature. And just as an enemy deprived of oxygen will flail and fight all the harder for a time, so will your pride or sloth or fornication. But at a certain point, if movies have taught me anything, he'll sort of fall asleep and go inert. Pro tip, be sure to keep choking even after that happens. What do we mean by that? First off, obviously don't give the enemy mouth to mouth and bring him back. Whenever you've backslidden in the faith, you can probably look back and see the point at which you did exactly that. But beyond the obvious, continue to praise God for your freedom from that sin and to ask him for the strength to keep it dead and buried. Continue to find that satisfaction, that thing that your sin promises but can't deliver. Find it in Christ and sweet communion with him. Don't think of the battle as over, the credits of the movie now rolling, or you're going to see a sequel begin. And experience tells us it's going to be a crappy one. Owen undoubtedly had this in mind when he wrote, Let no man think he makes any progress in holiness who treads not on the necks of his lusts. Of the Mortification of Sin, Chapter 2. Barnes must have been reading this passage before he showed up at Daniel's place, threw him to the ground, and placed his foot right on Daniel's throat. If your enemy cannot breathe, he cannot whine. We often do the opposite, though. In Genesis 2, God breathed the breath of life into Adam, and he became a living being. And in Ezekiel 17, we have this powerful picture of God restoring life to the hopelessly dead, culminating with the breath entering them, allowing them to stand as an army ready to fight. We are the recipients of both of these breaths, life and new life. And with each and every breath, we now hunt down and choke out the old self. If you strike here, you can cause severe damage to the trachea. 
Johnny tells Miguel, demonstrating a crushing blow to the throat. Then he sheepishly adds, Of course, that's only for extreme situations. Well, sanctification, our struggle against spiritual darkness and our own sinful lusts, is always an extreme situation. If your enemy cannot breathe, he cannot fight. Rule number three. If your enemy cannot see, he cannot fight. If you hit him square in the nose, he'll be blinded by his tears and choke on his blood. Terry Silver, The Karate Kid, Part 3. Despite a semi-cool cinematic tradition of blind gunfighters, ninjas, and superheroes, the fact remains that your sight is the most important sense when being attacked or attacking someone else. Perhaps this is why God struck the entire Syrian army blind, not deaf, when he wanted to humiliate them in 2 Kings 6. Sight is equally important in the battle against the flesh. Jesus even goes so far as to tell us to be ready to pluck out our own eye to avoid sin, Matthew 5.29. That's how serious this stuff is, and here's your advantage in this fight. Your enemy doesn't have eyes. He has to use yours, which means, with the exception of the mind's eye, which, yeah, you have to be aware of as well, he is limited to whatever is in your field of vision. You remember that little song we used to sing in Sunday school? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see? You didn't know it at the time, but you had just begun your training in the quicksilver method. When St. Paul lists the deeds of the flesh in Galatians 5, there are 16 of them, and by my count, 16 of them could be prompted visually. Some of them, for example, jealousy, envy, sexual immorality, sensuality, almost always begin with the eyes, at least for men, anyway, who are visual creatures to an embarrassing extent. Others idolatry, hatred, wrath, can flare up out of nowhere with the right visual stimuli. Where you look, then, is important. But the goal of the new self is not to be continually, quote, bouncing your eyes away from every shiny new car, guy who did you wrong, or woman in a short skirt, lest you sin. Obviously, there are certain things a follower of Jesus has no business looking at and will have less and less desire to see as he mortifies the flesh, but walking around blinding ourselves half the time is still living in a certain type of bondage. There's this guy who calls my church from out of state every few months asking for prayer. I don't know who the guy is or how he got our number, but he asked me to pray that he won't see particular people, and he asks by name. I don't ask him why he doesn't want to see them, but I always add a prayer at the end that someday soon he will be able to see them without fear and without falling. In an earlier class, we talked about praying that you could see everyone through the eyes of Christ. And that's a good prayer because it leaves your enemy blind. Another good exercise, in my opinion, is to also pray for the other people in your field of vision. I was riding in a car with my mentor one day during seminary, and he just randomly out loud started praying for this woman, Betty, just out of nowhere, like I was walking into this situation already in progress, despite the fact that we'd been in the car together for 20 minutes. When I asked what that was all about, he told me that he always prays for female joggers, and since he doesn't know their name, he just guesses, because if he's praying for them, the enemy can't introduce any wicked thoughts or desires into his mind. The same could be helpful with a guy you really can't stand entering your eyeline. It's hard to hate someone when you're praying for them to the God who loved you while you were yet his enemy. Cobra Kai never dies. Cobra Kai is not a hobby. It's not a club. Cobra Kai is your brothers and your sisters. You're all Cobra Kai for life because Cobra Kai never dies. John Kreese. Cobra Kai, Season 2, Episode 6. 
Those words, Cobra Kai Never Dies, were first uttered by Terry Silver in Karate Kid Part 3 and are repeated throughout the series Cobra Kai, and I think it's no coincidence that, in both, John Kreese is declared dead only to appear once again in his dojo, ready to take what belongs to him. First on the list, his honor. As we begin to ramp down this miniseries, let me remind you, your god is a god of resurrection. People have always been quick to assume that dead meant dead, just ask wearing Hudsucker, but Jesus isn't bound by those categories. When he indicated that he'd bring Jairus' daughter back to life, the mourners laughed in his face. When he talked about his own resurrection, his enemies were filled with rage. Neither of these reactions limited Christ's power, though. I realize I'm in danger of following some super-seeker-friendly megachurch model wherein resurrection is more a general concept to motivate you than an actual historical event that grounds our faith, but hear me out anyway. Jesus rose from the dead, and that same Jesus promises that we will rise too, John 11, 25-26. The power of the resurrection is with us even during this life, and St. Paul ties it to our war against sin. In Colossians 3, 1-4, he writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because Christ was literally raised from the dead and walked out of an empty grave, we will also be raised on the last day. But don't miss that we have been raised with Christ in a sense already. See that text I just read you. By the way, this is one of many verses which emphasizes the power of our regeneration by tying it to resurrection. My good friend Dr. Michael Whitmer always tells me that the only thing holding him back from being an amillennial is that we, quote, spiritualize the resurrection. I disagree, since we also hold to a bodily resurrection, but if speaking of resurrection in spiritual terms is a flaw, then it's one we share with the Apostle Paul. And that means that when you've fallen into the same stupid sin again, and you hear the enemy whispering, that's one fall too many, loser, you're just not Jesus material, I guess Satan sounds sort of like Jack Nicholson, I don't know, when that happens, you have no reason to listen to him. Get back up, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. And don't let past failings tame you. Our own fallibility and frailty should fuel our humility, but it need not and should not fuel a spiritual timidity. When Miguel walks into the cafeteria and sees the enemy at work, he doesn't back down, not even after getting jumped and badly beaten by all of Kai's little friends more than once. Sure, the sight of them would turn any of our stomachs if we'd been recently held down and pummeled by a lacrosse stick at their hands. But Miguel's a Cobra Kai, and he knows that this time, it's his enemies who will fall. One last time, let's contrast this with Daniel LaRusso, who's all on edge and high-strung, practically peeing himself in the locker room at the tournament when he encounters his enemies. Let's go ahead and run the list of things Daniel is doing wrong here. 1. He can't figure out how to dress himself. Now, I took five years of Taekwondo in my youth, and a lot of it was difficult, but I never had any trouble tying my gi. 2. He's all alone. He has no quiver. Even Miyagi is taking a well-deserved breather from all the whining and lashing out against his own friends and mother and girlfriend and bike that defines LaRusso as a person. 3. His head is not on a swivel. In fact, it's buried in a very simple tie-here-and-then-tie-here garment. Good grief, I'd like to see Daniel try to put on an alb. 4. 
He freezes up at the first sign of aggression from his enemies. He's not about to strike first or strike hard. He's about to pop into that stupid stance where he keeps his right fist down at his hip rather than protecting his face and just stares like a deer in headlights. A little secret about Daniel LaRusso, he's actually not the best around. Listen, you're going to fall. I'm not going to tell you that's all right, as if our sin is now justified. It's not. We are justified. Our sins are repugnant. But just as a cavalier attitude towards sin makes light of the blood shed on the cross, so does a defeatist attitude towards sin. And defeat does not exist in this dojo, does it? Offensive sanctification. There he is, the former champ in the flesh. Spontaneous applause. Cobra Kai, season one finale. So I noticed something when I was uploading the first episode of this podcast. The subtitle, a podcast about offensive sanctification, when written out, looks like a podcast about offensive sanctification. But that suits me just fine. Because that's kind of what it is. It is offensive to the world, this idea that we should put to death that which is fleshly and worldly within us, rather than celebrate and defend it. It's offensive. And that's fine. Jesus told us the world will hate you because they hated me first. If you're really going all in with this, you cannot care about the world's applause. Hey, Dimitri left the Cobra Kai Dojo a one-star review on Yelp. And just this week, some LaRusso gave this podcast a one-star rating on iTunes. Get used to that. You cannot care. Case in point, Daniel LaRusso certainly has his fan club on the board of directors of the All-Valley Karate Association, or whatever it's called. And why? Well, to hear them talk, it all goes back to Daniel being the two-time champ. Yeah, what an accomplishment. He barely managed a victory the first time and only kept his title the next year because his opponent was intentionally losing a point every time he gained one in order to toy with Daniel, which, I might add, he successfully did, beating him all over the mat until the clock ran down. In the words of Terry Silver, I love it when he pounds him. So, I don't know how big a victory that even was for LaRusso. But I suggest the board actually becomes an ad hoc LaRusso fan club whenever he walks into the room because Daniel's company, LaRusso Auto, is one of the primary financial sponsors of their event and they need to keep offering yes man toady praise to keep the dollars flooding in. As evidence, I offer the fact that Johnny Lawrence is also a two-time All-Valley champ. And he didn't barely win by using some goofy trick move for the winning point each year. In fact, Johnny didn't lose a single point his junior year. That has to be a record, or at least very rare. And yet, when Johnny shows up at the board meeting, rather than being hailed as the hero he is, he's disrespected and told that the AA meeting doesn't start until 9. Oh, har har. First off, is that what we're doing? We're using alcoholics trying to change for the better as the butt of our jokes. And also, did Johnny look like he was falling off the wagon? He was wearing a tie and carrying a briefcase. Show some friggin' respect. Oh yeah, and no one cares what color the mats are, guy. This is kind of a harsh lesson and a tough pill to swallow. The world will not celebrate your victories when you defeat your sin nature. The world may even laugh at you, mock you, or call your Cobra Kai techniques hateful. Remember, they're judging you by the twisted, wicked, perverted standards of this world. And the world will not sing your praises, even when you don't give up a single point. And that's okay, for two reasons. One, that's what your quiver is for. Your brothers-in-arms gathered in your dojo will celebrate you when you severely damage the enemy's trachea. And two, when the world celebrates someone for their religious accomplishments, it's more often than not a whitewashed tomb situation. 
Even when it's not, the world's praise can lead us to pride, hypocrisy, compromise. More than a few major falls on the part of Christian leaders can be traced back to a love of the world's applause. Be content to stock your own private trophy case, looking forward to the day you can throw them at your master's feet. So, that's the end of our basic course. Next time, we'll be running through some scenarios from Season 2 to help reinforce these basic concepts and help you go a little deeper. Then we'll be bringing in some other senseis for a combat panel that you're not going to want to miss. For now, hit the showers, hit subscribe, get out there, strike first, strike hard, no mercy. Enough about self-defense. Learn self-offense. Hash Brown gives sin a body bag. Unless otherwise indicated, scripture quotations are from the ESV Bible, only Bible English Standard Version, copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers, used by permission, all rights reserved. The Karate Kid, The Karate Kid Part 2, and The Karate Kid Part 3 are all copyright Columbia Pictures Corporation. Cobra Kai, The Karate Kid Saga Continues, is copyright 2018, Overbrook Entertainment, and Sony Pictures. Columbia Pictures, Overbrook Entertainment, and Sony Pictures have not endorsed this production in any way. References to characters and short quotations from these materials are used for critical and or satirical purposes. Good. Check.